Welcome to Ashamed of the Throne, Joe Weekly Recap Podcast for HBO's uh, Revenge of the Nerds 2 of a TV show, A Game of Thrones. Now, Brian, you're probably going to ask, what does A Game of Thrones have to do with Revenge of the Nerds 2? No, I don't care. Yeah, I don't either. I didn't <laughs> come up with anything. <laughs> I just remember it was very forgettable. I think they went to Florida or something. I don't know. I don't think I ever saw it. Oh, you should. There's plenty of, um, I don't know, nerd stuff. But nerds is cool now, so it's all good. Yeah, that's true. Okay, guys, uh, welcome back. Uh, exciting, exciting stuff. I, I still am getting over. I'm still getting used to the fact that we're doing new shit instead of just like slogging through the season of suffering, which was season five and our laborious year long uh, rewatch. It's just exciting to get new shit. And um, I'm gonna say right off the bat, I really like this episode. I thought it was gonna be a great episode, and I kind of feel like they fumbled a little bit towards the end. Um, but even though not a whole lot uh, happens, I would say, until the end, it, it was just better than last week because I feel like the acting was better. I feel like the dialogue was better. I don't know. I just felt emotions and shit. I don't know. Yeah, I did think this one was better as well. Uh, it seemed like more happened. I do have some com- some complaints, as you do on this show, but uh, I thought this was a really good one. And I mean, without actually going back through to try to catalog actual the my ranking of shows, I think this is probably easily a top ten episode for me. Uh, yeah, I I was watching it about yeah. halfway through, and I thought the same thing. I said, "Am I watching the best <laughs> best episode of Game of Thrones without any action?" Um, you know, we did have that action set piece at the end, but. I was thinking halfway through the show going, my God, this like every every scene is like compelling and I'm not bored at all. Uh, yes. I was just thoroughly impressed. Um, and I took note yeah. that it was Brian Cogman, the writer, and somebody called Malloyd or something as the director. I've never seen the director before, but Cogman's been on board for years now, so... Yes, yeah. I, we have some quibbles, or I have some quibbles that we'll discuss as we go, but uh, yeah, this is a damn good one. So let's uh, let's... Yeah. Launch into it, as I yeah. say every week. Yeah, have you said your famous catchphrase? Let's launch uh, yeah. it. So, <laughs> oh, the launch guy. Yeah, no, I know him. Um, I, I don't think we remarked last week on the new opening where you've, you've pointed out how they set the opening or the, um, the theme song background as where they're going to go that week. Yeah. But uh, this was pretty dra- – or the last two weeks have actually been pretty drastic and changes in that there's no really check-ins in Westeros. They seem to go – I think they've gone to Old Town for the first time in the last two weeks. So I know you're uh, big on the intro. I wondered if you had any thoughts well, in particular I, about I mean, that. I get bored of the intro. I'm always excited to watch the intro the first episode of the season, and then I kind of like just looking for a new uh, area. But I think uh, it's been discussed uh, on more formative podcasts or uh, articles or something that they're running out of places to go. The The map is constricting as what as what happens in any, you know, massive story like this. You know, it expands, and then it's got to contract to get, get yeah. some kind of uh, conclusion. So I don't... I think they might just be showing everything that's left on the table. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a Casterly Rock next week. What do you think about that shit? That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, we well, think so. Or at least it's coming, maybe not next week, but close. Yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, launch Pad McQuack into this or whatever you say every week. Uh, and the story opens, or the uh, episode opens with a stormy night at uh, Dracula's castle, but it's not Dracula's castle, it's Dragonstone. And Danny's there with a few of her advisors, uh, basically uh, Grey Worm and Sandy, and more importantly, Viserys and Tyrion. 
And they're discussing their next move in the plan to take Westeros. Uh, Danny shit talks, talks her brother, Viserion, the guy who uh, died by either fourth degree burns or suffocation by gold. I don't know. Uh, so she gives him a little shit, and Tyrion recommends not taking King's Landing by force because if she turns into a slaughterhouse, she'll be Queen of the Ashes. Um, and then Danny at some point confronts Varys finally for his role in the past, serving the uh, not only her father, the Mad King, but also the usurper Robert, and the whole thing that uh, he was paying Jorah to spy on her and had her. Uh, issued the order to have her killed, which is probably not good. This is something we've been waiting for a while, but I'll, I'll move on. We'll talk about it when we stop. Um, basically, she openly questions his loyalty, and he says, uh, you know, I-, I wasn't happy with this answer, but it was well acted. Um, his loyalty is to the realm because he was born poor, and he cares about the people. Uh, Vari says he's choosing to follow Danny. He's not just blindly giving her his allegiance because he just doesn't do that shit. Uh, Danny pardons him basically, but asks him to have her swear, have him swear to her that if he's going to double cross her or betray her, that he will let her know ahead of time, which is probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, let's stop there for a second. Okay, so I did like Danny testing Varys, um, and I I did like his response because he choo choo chooses her. Um, nice. But yeah, you know, I mean, I think it does make sense. Uh, it makes sense, like the overarching theme of he's worried about the common people, but the fact that he's like tried to make sure that the Targaryens are in charge the whole time, I don't think it makes any sense to me because. If he actually wanted like a just society, he would have tried to back Ned or, or somebody else who's not impulsive like say Robert or a maniac like the last Targaryen. And it's and it seems like he's not doing what's best for the realms. It seems like he's just choosing the worst of the lesser of two evils here. Because, you know, he's just like, fuck it, I'm gonna throw in my lot with Daenerys after he gets mm-hmm. booted from after he can't go back to King's Landing when he frees Tyrion. So yeah, I questioned his motivations. I really didn't like his answer. Now, how the scene was executed, I will say I did remark how much I think Danny's acting has improved because she's acting royal without being wooden and robotic, which is normally her like, I'm a queen, I'm the Khaleesi kind of mode. Uh, I think she did a great job here, and I did like the back and forth. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, you know, what's really crazy is, you know, that they – They've tried to tie in. I think they've tried to tie in what the actual varies what he's doing in the books, which is kind of confusing. Um, yeah, because he's basically for those of you guys who don't read the books, uh, Varys is backing a pretender to the throne, basically a fake Targaryen. Yeah. Uh, it could be the real thing, but it's very far fetched that it is. So basically, uh, Danny's little brother Aegon, who uh, has been widely reported to have died at the hands of the Mountain when he was a baby, but uh, Varys is doing that shit. So it is all confusing. Uh, I don't know what the yeah. showrunners are doing. Uh, and, yeah, I feel like since he doesn't have that motivation in the in the show, and his motivations, he's backing this guy the whole way, this fake Targaryen. Um, so for him to, like, have this motivation or I'm just doing what's best for the realm seems a little false to me. But Yeah, well, he, he says that, though, and he basically admitted that he was backing Viserys, or Viserion, or whatever his name was, Danny's brother, until he died, and now he's backing Danny. So, 
it just seems odd that he's, I mean, he's getting a lot of deference to the Royals while at the same time saying that he's backs the comedy people. So it seems like a mixed message to me, but um, we're on a D&D fan fiction at this point, I think. So. Yeah, and once again, I've, I, I've said this last season, I like them trimming the fat, and I like the fact that it is embraced the fan fiction. Um, a lot of the fan service, too, um, has been just fun. So, like, I don't care yeah. if it's accurate. I know it's not accurate. Accurate. I just want it to be fun, especially after coming off of season five when nothing was fucking fun. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so what's uh, next? So uh, the the proceedings are interrupted by word that a red priestess from Ashai has arrived. We find out it is Melisandre. Uh, she's there. Varys instantly questions her loyalty, saying that she was serving a, for, you know, a usurper to the crown and... Danny just looks at him and says, what did we just talk about? <laughs> because Varys was serving uh, Robert, so she's kind of like pardoning, you know, she's kind of, everybody was serving other kings. We're not going to make a big deal out of it. Mel says she is uh, there to serve the prince that was promised, and when Danny repeats the phrase in English, or Westerosi, I don't know, uh, Miss Sandy corrects her and says, well, your Valerian translation does not have a gender assignment to it. So it could be prince or princess. Ooh la la. So there we get the, uh, not confirmation, but further proof that Danny might be the prince slash princess that was promised. Uh, Melisandre says that she doesn't know who's the prince or princess has promised, but she knows that Danny and another, Jon Snow, have a role to play in the wars to come. She says she trusts Jon Snow because of the alliance that he made with the Wildlings. I would have said I trusted him because I brought his ass back from the dead, which I have a problem with. We'll talk about later how no one talks about the fact that John is a resurrected person. Yeah, uh, Tyrion vouches for John, saying, Oh, yeah, I know him. He's a great guy. He'd be a great ally. Danny is down, but she says she will need her his allegiance. She didn't travel all this way to be king of six kingdoms or the queen of six kingdoms or whatever. Um, so go ahead. I, I, I don't know about you, but I can't stand when they go back and forth between languages. Um, I don't really understand what the point of well, it yeah, is. Yeah, I agree. You know? What's the point? Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, that Azor Ahai revolution is pretty crazy, uh, but I do think it's interesting. I, I don't think that it's out of place or anything. I did also like how this scene is part of the uh, – there seems like there's a lot of um, – if you've watched closely between these seasons, there seems to be more and more callbacks to the prior episodes, like uh, like – Tyrion later, including the phrase of when he met John the first time in season one, mm-hmm. Danny makes reference to uh, a phrase that uh, that somebody said to the Viserys. How he, I think that toast- is, that's both yeah. practical and smart. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. But I, I noticed that as well. And it's because Dan, uh, the D&Ds are flying without a net. They don't have source material. So I think it is incredibly smart. And once again, I shit all over him. I told one of them to kill himself a couple weeks back. Um, I regret that. <laughs> Only a little. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, uh, this is incredibly smart to, yeah, cannibalize yourself. Kind of like just repeat things that George said in the first two books or whatever, three books. Um, but I don't even think about it cannibalizing. I mean, I think that it's um, – I mean, it, it, I think it's uh, it's it makes it very interesting. And also, like, they, it makes the viewer who knows these little nuggets here and there, it makes them very excited. And I think it makes for an interesting show that – Hey, they par- they're paying this thing off six years later or five years later or whatever the hell. Yeah, you know? I, I don't mean to be uh, flippant or negative in my, my yeah. verbiage of cannibalism. I just want to say that they're 
repeating lines that we've heard before. This is callbacks. I mean, half half the yeah. Simpsons uh, humor is just, hey, remember this from this book or this movie? I mean, callbacks. No, I, for, I, I forgot that you view cannibals in a positive light, so I, you know, that's my bad. <laughs> well, have you ever seen uh, – oh, never mind. All right, so, moving on. Uh, oh. I also liked how uh, they, John and um, and Danny are both looking for allies, but their purposes are so different. Right. Uh, the reason for the allies, which I think is an interesting contrast. Um, and I was really excited about Danny when she did gave that instruction to send a message to John, and then she kind of threw in the bend the knee line at the end. Right. Which I thought was kind of shitty. I mean, I guess that sets her tenor, but I think it's also kind of against what she's saying. Where they want to later in the episode, where they want to have a bloodless uh, takeover of King's Landing. Well, if you're screaming at people, bend the knee. Especially, right. she should know what her forces represent of this foreign invasion. Well, maybe instead of saying bend the knee, come and treat with me for a little while, and then if that doesn't work, maybe then you start demanding bend the knee. Right. I think uh, I agree with you 100, percent and I think this is a good enough time as any to talk about this. Obviously, Danny and John are you know, counterparts to each other. And John is basically completely given up with the Game of Thrones. He doesn't want to be king. He just, he's worried about the dead and the big war to come, where Danny, that's all she's concerned with. So I have a feeling that John, if she says, you know, I will help you or whatever, you can have this dragon glass or I'll join you in your fight, but you have to say I'm the queen. I don't think John's going to have a problem with it. I think he's like, fine, I'm not king of the north anymore. Do we have your help? Like, I feel like he's that, like, single-minded towards the goal of defeating the others, whereas Danny is single-mindedly trying to get the seven kingdoms that she thinks is her birthright. Uh, but there's going to be something that changes her mind eventually. I mean, we know that's gay. She's going to be whole hog into the, well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe she'll die. Who knows? So, yeah, this well, revelation that the prince that was promised could be a woman has been argued about. So this revelation is going to set the nerds uh, uh, Twitter on Let's say, what's a, what's another social media <laughs> on Facebook? Grinder. <laughs> yes, the nerds are, the nerds are going to go all of Twitter on Grinder. Nerds on Farmers Only. They're gonna and then they're gonna Bing something on Google. Um, yeah, the prince that was promised because people has ar- have argued this before since dragons can change sex. Uh, people have theorized that. that. Oh yeah, um, I think that's in the book somewhere. Who cares? Huh. Um, so people have theorized that all the Valerian language is gender neutral and can apply to either sex. And they've been theorizing this for a long time and people have been arguing against it. So now this is basically confirmation of it. Once again, I don't really care. I mean, we knew that. So all these prophecies real quick, this is another tangent, but there's a prince that was promised. There's a Zora high. And I think there's like one more. Basically it's all these, like there's like three major prophecies. One from a One's a first man prophecy. Oh, the the lone hero, uh, the guy who goes north with 12 companions and all 12 of them die, uh, and his dog, which, I mean, that's basically John's going to do that shit again. But basically, there's like three prophecies of like a hero, and that could be the three heads of the dragon. We don't know. That's another prophecy. Anyway, there's just so many prophecies that I get them confused. Um, well, I think all of them, I think that... I think they all are tied together. I mean, I think they're basically the same prophecy. Right, the one it man could, saves the world. It's just dis- different religions, you know. Yeah, but what? What? I agree with that. You know, it's that. Uh, yeah. God, this is people have talked about this before, but it's like how there's a myth of a, a major flood in most ancient religions. So yeah. it's not. 
you know, so there's probably some truth to it. So I, I, I'm all about that shit. I'm just wondering, does it all these different, um, all these different prophecies apply to the same person or three different people that will uh, band together? Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like yeah, John know. could be one of the John could be the lone hero or whatever it's called. The the other hero, Danny, could be the prince that was promised, and maybe Tyrion will be Azor High or you know, I don't know, Beric Dondarrion could be Azor High. I don't give a fuck. Um, yeah, who knows? This is just fun speculative shit, and I'm sure uh, other places that take this stuff more serious than we will talk about that uh, in great detail. All right, so let's get back to the episode. So next we go north to Winterfell, and the child conscript army is apparently learning to shoot arrows. Uh, Coney, prehistoric Coney, or what? I don't know. What's the time frame on this thing? Oh, what are you talking about? Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, so you're making reference. Yeah, okay. So you're making reference to the the African general who made child soldiers. For you and Jermaine not remembering or not knowing who Coney was the last time it brought up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I actually saw a review today that made the same allusion. Oh, shit. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I try to credit when I do remember that I got it from somewhere else. Yeah, so hey, it's, it, hey, it's uh, what do they call yeah. parallel thinking? I mean, it's that it's out there in the ether. Um, yeah, it's not that hard to come child to the army. Same. Child army, what do you even I, think of? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so next, uh, John and Sansa are reading a missive, and it's the message from Danny. It says, uh, "Come and meet me and bend the knee." And actually, you know, I saw somebody online had like a screen capture of it and said that. It did not say, did not include the line bend the knee. So it's possible that Tyrion left that line out. I tried to read it, but I couldn't read it very well. So I'm relying on other people who said they read it close and and it excluded that. So John asks Sansa what what he should do. And once again, Sansa knows the other side better than anyone else. But Sansa doesn't have any good goddamn advice. But she is concerned about it. Coach grabs the message and raises the point that dragons spit fire, much like when I rap. And then uh, <laughs> John then ponders while he should go, while Coach raises the point that they really need men to defeat the army or the undead army or the others. Yeah, I uh, I questioned this. I was like, that's a pretty obvious thing to say, you know. Yeah. Wait a minute. Zombies are killed by fire and dragons breathe fire. Wait a minute. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is fine. I understand that this, this information has to be ingested by our heroes, and I guess it's the way to do it. I, I, I would only say, I think this, this scene was a little bit too short. They could have kind of tacked something else on. I, I don't know, because this is... But what, though? I don't know. Maybe that run-in with Littlefinger that we get later that's tacked onto another scene? Yeah, possibly. But, we'll it out, I guess. But, but there's nothing much to say here besides... Uh, I feel like there's this weird theme about paying it forward. So I'm going to call it good karma um, in this episode that I've noticed. And uh, it comes back to Tyrion sent the letter. John and Tyrion were nice to each other. They have a mutual respect. And that was, you know, in the first book or first season. And now we're seven seasons on and they're calling back to it. Not only is it a callback, but it's a callback of people being nice or decent to each other and it coming back to uh, pay dividends in the future. And we get this uh, again later in this episode when Samuel Tarly, spoiler alert, is willing to put his career on the line to save uh, Jorah because of how much he appreciated 
uh, Jorah's dad, Gior Mormont, the... Uh, oh, I didn't even. That's a good point. I didn't really put together that might have been his motivation, but I think you're right about that. Yeah, I mean, what else would be his motivation? Mm-hmm. Like, who who cares? Like, you know, this guy is dying of grayscale. Who gives a shit? You know, he's just some well. I mean, Sam would because he's trying to. Well, you know, I guess the grayscale thing doesn't really tie into the the whites. No, or, not uh, at all. The, not <laughs> not at all. At this point, the only person he knew that had grayscale was Serene, and she's not at the wall anymore. Sam might think she's still alive because he probably hasn't heard of the what oh happened, boy. but still, ooh, that's going to be a a tough raven to get or whatever. But um, you know, do you ever listen to Kendrick Lamar, the rapper? Uh, no. Is that is that hip hop? Uh, it's uh, I don't know. It's rap music. He he has a uh, very sexually obscene song called Shorty. No, you don't say. A rapper has a sexually obscene song. Hey, we talked about this. Oh, is it like Ed Shireen where he talks about, you know, stabbing a woman, but he he makes it all Disney and says, like, I love your body? What are you talking about? Oh, well, you know how, like, uh, you know, people will talk about just straight up boning down, but they'll make it flowery language, so it's not as gross? No? Okay, no. moving on. I'm going to cut all that. <laughs> I do not understand any subtext. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so Kendrick Lamar... Yeah, so Kendrick Lamar has a very sexually explicit song about a uh, person named Shireen, and it's uh, it always distracts me when I hear this poor little girl's name. So, does he say the sex? Kendrick- does he say the sex is on fire? Or <laughs> no, he does not. Or she makes me hard like I have grayscale. What? Oh no! Stop it! Um, no, he's a very good rapper. You should listen to that rapist. Yes, Anyways, um, so uh, where do we go next? All right, so we go to King's Landing, and Cersei has assembled all the leftover goons, uh, the few remaining houses or the lords of those houses, and she paints Danny as a monster, saying she has, you know, she says her dad was a maniac, the Mad King, we all remember how terrible he was, and that she's coming with a legion of foreigners, basically playing off their xenophobia. This kind of tactic would not work today. We're, we're too woke we would never elect somebody or anything like that based on this kind of fear tactic. But anyway, uh, Randall Charlie, Sam's dad, is there and asks her straight up, well, that's all well and good, but they say Danny's got three dragons. What's your plan to do about that, or what are you going to do? And Kyborn, and she turns to Kyborn, and Kyborn says, we've got a plan. All vague and shit. Okay. Later, uh, Jamie approaches Charlie in the hall after the meeting, and he's basically maybe one of the most powerful men that, that are there. He's basically the number two guy in the Reach. And asks him to be the lead general in the upcoming wars. Charlie says he is loyal to his queen, but he also uh, takes his vows to the Tyrell seriously. And Jamie's like, hey, you swore you know, two vows. It's basically Jamie's thing where you, know, you can't uphold all the, all the vows because they come to conflict with each other eventually. And Jamie basically at the end attempts to bribe him with saying if he serves well, they're going to need a new warden of the south. So that could raise House Tarsley up, Tarsley. Uh, that could raise House Tarley up to the uh, status of the Tyrells. They could be the new power in Highgarden. So I'm pretty sure this is going to turn Tarley towards Jamie and Cersei's ends. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. I think Tarley flips. Uh, because- yeah, he's already set up as a bad guy anyway by his relationship with Sam. 
Well, you know, that's what's interesting is, I, you know, Cersei sucks, no question about it. But, I mean, I think she's right. The way that she presents uh, what the Danny's force is, I mean, I think she's right. I think what the Westeros should be scared of what's coming because it well, is a force. the unknown for sure, but yeah. I, and I, I mean, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's like a foreign invasion. You know, I, I don't, even though that Danny wants to say that she's the Targaryen, she has the rightful... Uh, the right to the crown or whatever. She's also the she's the relative of the person who was a maniac, and now she's brought over like these threats that have never existed in Westeros, including resurrecting dragons. So, I, Cersei stinks, but she's right. And Danny in a vacuum sounds should sound terrible to the people of Westeros, and she's also right. And Jamie's right that Tarly's allegiance is ultimately to the crown. I would think, and not whatever the uh, whatever kingdom he's under. Well, I agree with you that the optics look really bad for Nanny. Um, yeah. Uh, no question about that. So uh, Cersei's just taking advantage of it. Whether there's any credence behind it, once again, it's all ignorance. You don't know anything. There's no way to Google Dothraki. Like, you know, if you're just some dumb farmer uh, or some minor lord and you're like, oh, no, I hate Cersei. She's a maniac. But Dothraki, I've heard bad things, you know. Yeah. I, I can well, see. Yeah. I can see. It's just a smart play for Siri. That's all I'll give you. I'm or Cersei. I'm. I'm not going to say that. You know, it's it's that's right. But yes, the optics or the political, the PR for Danny does not look good. Yeah. So then you combine that optics with the opportunity for him to up jump his his house to up jump where their current station is, especially right. because we know that he's kind of a he. His his belief is in this uh, this feudalist feudalism system or feudalistic system. So of course he wants to. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I did like that he brought up the parallel between Danny and Aegon before how Aegon brought over the three dragons and conquered the land, and so now Danny has three dragons. Um, I don't think that there's any question that Tarly will join Danny. In more from a practical show standpoint, in that da- that uh, I'm sorry, will join Cersei. Cersei. Needs more manpower, I think, yeah. for this to make sense. Yeah, and that yeah. we've so talked Charlie about this before, which is why the end is not a shocker to anybody, because we're everyone is saying, wait a minute, Danny's just so overpowered. In order for this to be interesting, the playing field has to be leveled. So that means that Danny either has to lose a bunch of people or Cersei has to gain a bunch of people. And basically we're seeing both things happen, right? Yeah, I think so. One other comment I had about this show, or about this scene, actually two other comments. Um, first, the mountain looked massive in the screen, oh, the shit. shot of I the even, crown. I wasn't even looking for him. I, I didn't even see him. Very cool. I, I don't know if it was like a forced perspective kind of thing, or whether he was standing in the forefront of the the um, the dais, or whatever the heck they, they are up there. He just looks so much bigger. I mean, he's so big, you he almost looks like a statue. He almost looked like double the size of Kyburn. Um, and then one other thing I liked was, um, is Dickon the worst name that's ever existed? <laughs> yes. Well, it could be Dick Off. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess so. Well, that, that's, no, you know what? That scene's later. So, oh, yeah. Next we go to- <laughs> no, no, real quick. I, I, I was thinking about yeah. it and like, cause even Jamie was like, who are you again? Is it Rickon? And that's the name of the recently deceased Stark kid, the youngest one. Of course. But yes. isn't Rick or Richard often shortened a dick? It is, yeah. Uh, so but think- you know, it's kind of funny that uh, that Jamie he is so worried about, about these Tarleys. You would think that he would know the name of the oldest son, 
if he actually wants to to win them over. I but, think it's you know. I think it's aimonging. Like you remember, we're 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 I don't know. I'm a level five pickup artist. You think he's a you think he's a pua? <laughs> yeah, pua. Yeah. And the key is you neg the the one you're after. You're like, what was yeah. it? Was it Lisa, uh, Leanna? What's your name again? Oh yeah. So that's what you do just to put somebody off it off the off their game. I feel. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, just, yeah. I often watch a show and think that somebody's negging someone else. So. Well, Jamie's definitely a pickup artist. I mean, come on. Yeah, definitely. Well, no, he, no, he doesn't need it. So he's not a mystery. So uh, old town. We go to old town, and um, and Sam. Uh, I'm sorry. The maester is inspecting Jorah. Jorah asks how long he has until he loses it. Approximately six months till his mind goes. Um, Sam then brings up sh- how Shireen was cured, but uh, the maester believes it's due to nipping it in the bud. Meister then tells Jory he's shipping him out the next day instead of immediately, as they would normally do with a, a commoner. And the, the maester implies that uh, that, that Jorah could Bennington himself before. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you sure. Chester Bennington? Yep. <laughs> I'm not sure. Not soon so, enough. Yeah, let me, let me finish this scene last. We'll talk about this. So then Sam asks, uh, the, the Meister leaves and Sam asks about his family. He realizes this is your son that before Scamp around himself. So do you, uh, do you understand why they would allow the the royalty or, or the noblemen to kill themselves but just ship commoners out? I don't know why they wouldn't let everybody have the opportunity to kill themselves. I, you know? I agree. Why wouldn't it? I weird. Mean, Unless they set up suicide as like a sin in their religion, like it's just a, it seems like a, a ticket even for like a stoneman from Old Town all the way to Valeria it probably cost a little bit of money. You would think they could whip up some kind of poison, and and that's the other thing is like it seems like the maester goes and looks at his sword, and Jorah looks at his sword like, oh yeah, I would kill myself with this. No, just give me a fucking potion that maybe I go to sleep or something. <laughs> Yeah, I, never I, don't, I, don't I don't think that the, I don't recall out of this show uh, any um, any big religious thing against suicide. So I don't really understand why. I don't understand any of this. Why wouldn't they let any stone man just off himself? Because uh, once they're a stone man, then they're dangerous. You, you know, even if people try to stay away from Valeria, I mean, theoretically, if all of these stone men in the sept or in the uh, in Old Town kill themselves before going over there. Then hey, there's no longer stoneman. We can move back into Valeria. Yeah, I guess if people stop sending, yeah, instead of sending the stonemen to Valeria, Valeria, just do them the favor of killing them or offering yeah. them to kill themselves. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if it was your grandma or something, it'd feel bad. But just have your friend kill your grandma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, another thing. This basically illustrates the point where I said. Why would Jorah go to Old Town? He's like, hey, I'm going to cure myself by going to Old Town. Listen, I'm guessing the Maesters have been working on Grayscale for a thousand years, and they still haven't come up with a cure. So that doesn't seem like the best place to go. Like, You don't go to establishment uh, like medicine if you are if you have like six months no, to no, live. Here we go. Here's uh, you with a holistic and the alternative medicine. I'm just saying don't vaccinate your children. <laughs> Oh, uh, no. Anyway, okay, uh, moving on. So, no, well, you, you know, it does. It, it, it is frustrating that they don't know more about, um, about curing grayscale because we had the last episode, this Meister, Meister speaking about how they were the receptacle of all knowledge and all this nonsense. Well, we do know that other Meisters have figured out a way to 
secure grayscale for Shireen. So I don't know why Old Town doesn't know it, and I don't know why the people of Old Town, or the maesters of Old Town, don't know the thing that Sam is going to eventually discover in the same episode. Yeah, put well, into practice. the thing is that guy says Shireen was a baby, and there there was that excuse. But it just seems like these people are just stuck in their way, and they don't want to like yeah. experiment or try new things. That that would make sense. So yeah, you're. Probably right, but it still uh, seems like a flaw in the logic of the it, show. It definitely does. Like you would think there, yeah. there has to be another Sam, another guy who's just like, "Hey, why don't we try this crazy bullshit?" Um, I, I'm, let me, let me be honest. I've missed a lot of classes. I haven't done any of my homework, and I basically <laughs> need a home run to pass this medical class. Why don't I go try to solve grayscale? I'm morbidly obese, super sweaty, and have a secret wife in the town. <laughs> Let's figure this out. <laughs> Uh, I don't care. I'm, I'm, but, but once again, at this point, I gotta say, repeating what my sentiments at the beginning. At this point, I'm enjoying everything. Like I'm oh, thinking, yeah. no, this is a lot of fun. Th- I'm, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm thinking it's a lot of fun. We never overstay our welcome anywhere, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just enjoyed the shit out of all this. So, nothing less else. Let's move on. So, Kyburn, the guy who's like, we're working on it. As far as the whole <laughs> dragon problem, he's leading Cersei down into the cellars beneath King's Landing. Um. And they're passing all the old dragon skulls. We saw a few of them in season one. Arya went down there. Uh, some of them are the size of a dog's head, and some of them are as big as a dump truck. Just the skulls. Um, particularly the skull of... <laughs> Dumps like truck, truck, truck. Jesus Christ. Dragon like what? 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 Okay, we'll just move on. <laughs> all right, particularly the skull of Balerion the Black Dread. The dragon that Aegon the Conqueror rode into battle and um, helped him, you know, along with two other dragons and his sisters conquer the whole seven kingdoms so basically a, a precious relic and you know Kyburn, i guess is a member of the westerosi taliban because or uh, isis because he doesn't have such uh, reverence for such a important artifact he says that after hearing that danny's dragon drogon was injured in the fighting pits by spears he has the blacksmiths of king's landing fashion a giant javelin hurling hurling catapult uh, that I'm sure has a real name, but I haven't bothered to learn it. Um, and he says, hey, Cersei, why don't you just push that lever right there? Basically, he set up a great... He has great presentation skills. I feel like if Kyburn did a TED yeah. Talk, he would knock it out of the fucking park. So, like... He should, just, be on, uh, he should be on the Home Shopping Network. Yeah. Oh, I would buy whatever. Like, I would have yeah. bought this... Like, if this was this javelin was like a paperweight for my desk, I would have bought it. Uh, anyway, Cersei pushes the lever, and a giant javelin punctures the old dragon skull. No problem. Uh, so I, I guess I like the fact that they have a plan and I like that Kyburn's, I'm kind of rooting for Kyburn despite myself. Uh, but I hate that the solution is just, we're going to get a big gun. We have guns already. Let's just make a giant gun, which is basically what this huge javelin hurl or javelin throwing thing is. Right. I, yeah, I do enjoy Kyburn being like a super competent, super creep. I think it's I, a lot of fun. Too. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, uh, but I don't. And I, listen, I can't, I don't have a better solution for this, but this looks like that that uh, javelin or or scorpion that they had in the the Hobbit movies that were absolutely terrible. Yeah, and I think that I mean, might be what like it's a direct callback ripoff. to. Yeah, it might yeah. be a callback to that. I mean, I, who knows if this is D and D or uh, George Martin at this point, but. Uh, you yeah. know, George Martin has definitely made allusions to um, the Lord of the Rings series and The Hobbit as well. So, well, I'm thinking of that those terrible movies that came out recently, like the last couple of them, which is so well, I mean, bad. Yeah, but that's what yeah. it was in the the book, the original Hobbit. Yeah, yeah. They, they very true. Right. So, 
Uh, this basically sets up that at least one dragon is going to die via this, right? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not. Um, I'm not 100. percent But I got to think yeah. since they introduced it, it's, it's Chekhov's not gun, but Chekhov's scorpion or javelin throw or whatever you want to call this. Mm-hmm. Thing. Yeah, I don't. I, I really don't know. I, I don't know. Um, it certainly, certainly seems to offer hope to their side versus the dragons, but um, I, gosh, you know the actual dragons will have scales. They will have brittle bones. They'll and be. Somebody moving. pointed out they'll be moving. Yeah, I think the most. Yeah, I mean. Part, just, all these things that, that would militate against this actually working um, because, I mean, the other way to take this is not that it would work, that it uh, imbues Cersei with a false sense of security or, or optimism. So, I mean, that's another way to take it. So, I, I don't right. know. Gentleman's bet. Yeah. Gentleman's bet. Yep. Uh, so, I did like, from this scene, I really like seeing, uh, was you say Balerion the Black Dread? Was that how you pronounce I it? I think it's, it's definitely with a B, Balerion the yeah, it's definitely the Black Dread. Whatever. The- so that shit was incredible, the size of that, because if you look at his skull and Cersei standing next to him, and then you look at uh, Danny standing next to her dragons, where, where Danny's like as tall as the, her dragon's heads, I mean, Cersei's like half the height of that, that dragon's head. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and uh, I remember in the uh, set photos that I was like, or the, not leaked photos, but the published photos on Entertainment Weekly about how big the fucking dragons were compared to Danny. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But then they didn't show this particular dragon skull in season one, but in season one, like, Arya's running around down there, and she definitely runs into a dragon skull that's yeah very large, um, mm-hmm. about the same size. So I guess there's at least consistency to the scale of the dragons. But it definitely seems overwhelming and terrifying. Like, even if, like, I, I I question, like, a javelin, even that javelin killing, you know, once again, it's not going to be sitting still waiting for you to shoot it. Well, it also has a lot of scales, and it won't have, uh, you know, 200-year-old bones or 100-year-old bones that have been sitting there rotting. Right. Um, you know, and that's also a direct shot. It doesn't glance off of it. I mean, who, who really knows? Plus, I really, uh, I really want to know more about Kyburn and what is he? Just really a sycophant uh, that wants to serve? I, really, oh, I, I want to see like a, a spinoff of Kyburn. Yeah, just, hell yeah, Kyburn. like a Family Matters version of Kyburn. I want to see. No, I want to see Kyburn as like a like a bachelor, not a bachelor. Somebody who's like has a roommate who's really sloppy and lazy and like forgets to pay the power bill. <laughs> just some like kind of like two broke girls. Only just take out the one with the, Wait, the are big you watching boob. Two broke girls. No, I've only. S- <laughs> I what? might have seen fan fiction. Uh, anyway, oh, all I'm saying is that I would love no, to see you a situation put them, like within four nerds in an apartment together. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Like Big Bang Theory with Kyburn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kyburn, where's my girlfriend? She went down into your laboratory. I don't. I don't know. I think it could be good. Anyway, let's move on. Um, so I yeah. fucked up and I did the next scene as well. So let's let me uh, just do that. So well, let me ask you this. Oh, let me ask ahead. you this real quick. So yep. uh, one thing I've read now that the dragons are becoming more prominent is that Valyrian steel might have been tied into dragon fire. Uh, have you read about that theory? Yeah. Well, I've never. I don't read. I don't read anything. Uh, but yeah, I've heard about it in several podcasts. People have thought about it because basically Valyrian steel. Uh, the proliferation of it ended when Valeria fell, and that's about the yeah. time that the dragon lords. So there was a bunch of people that could command dragons, 
Um, and they were all killed in the Doom of Valeria. And Danny's family, the Targaryens, were the ones that got the fuck out of town because Danny's like great, 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 great grandmother had a vision that they would die and they all moved to Dragonstone and everybody died except for them. So it makes sense. It's been definitely theorized that, you know, Valyrian steel disappeared around the same time the dragons disappeared. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. It's also been theorized that dragon uh, steel requires a blood sacrifice. Kind of like Melisandre is all about King's blood. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Huh. Both those are scary, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> either way, it's not good, let's say. Yeah. All right, so okay. we're next. Up. So Dragon meets... Or Dragon. Uh, <laughs> Danny, the Dragon Queen, meets with her expanded war council, which includes everybody we talked about before, but also Alaria, Alaria, whatever her... The Dorn girl, uh, the Greyjoy siblings, and the Queen of Thorns. Everybody wants to attack King's Landing right away, which makes all the sense in the world, but... Tyrion seems a little annoyed at one point that Alaria murdered his niece or whatever, but he seems to get over it pretty quickly. I, I was hoping for more of an emotional discussion between him and Alaria. Um, well, I don't know that. Stop uh, right there. Let me. I just want to find out about that. Yeah, I understand what you mean, but I don't know that there was a. I, I don't recall, and I might be wrong about this. I don't recall any scenes between Alaria and Tyrion. Not Lyria, and Marcella and Tyrion um, in the other earlier episodes that would actually set up the emotional connection. Uh, I I remember one in season one okay. when they were at Winterfell. Tyrion came to like din- uh, breakfast after Bran fell from the tower. Yes, and, like, I remember that. He was hungover as shit. He was hungover as shit, but he was like yeah. playing with the kids. He was like being joking where Jamie and Cersei were all like business because they were concerned because they just conspired to kill a child. But, but Tyrion I, I mean, was that's all not the same thing. Like where John, when John leaves, um, and when Le- when he leaves to go to take the black, when he stops and says hi to Arya, where that's like a real emotional. Oh scene. no, no! Like obviously, yeah. obviously, it's like not that. that yes. It's not that type. But I feel, okay. I still feel that at the very least, Marcella was an innocent person, and Tyrion had a spot in his heart for her. Fair enough. At the very least, and I feel like this, the the blow up should have been. I think it, it. All I wanted was them to devolve to screaming at each other and Danny t- and Danny quashing it, and that would have been fine. Um, but anyway, let's move on. So let me finish describing the scene. Uh, Which would have been easy. All they had to do, just insert two lines where they yell at each other. I agree because Danny does get in the middle of it and say, "Stop it." So well, sorry, anyway, yeah, I agree with you 100. percent And I uh, once again, we could make this better. And I like when we we don't shit on the show without offering solutions. So. Danny uh, regurgitates basically Tyrion's own words and says she does not want to be the Queen of Ashes. Uh, the Queen of Thorns says, you know, winning the love of the people is great and all, but my granddaughter was loved by the people and she still died. Um, it means more than love. You basically need force. But Danny held strong in her decision, saying, hey, you guys chose to uh, follow me. I'm the queen. Something similar that John's going to say. And then Tyrion lays out the plan. He says that they don't want, they're concerned about the PR, which I love. Uh, just because it's, normally I hate when they draw uh, parallels to the present day, but uh, the fact that Tyrion is worried about PR, basically the same th- thing that Cersei's talking about, the optics. She's saying, since we don't want to be perceived as foreign invaders, the uh, Tyrells and the Dornish, the Westerosi forces, 
will attack King's Landing and basically lay siege to it, just trying to get them to, um, I guess, give up, which I still would argue would result in a lot of people's deaths. Um, anyway, at the same time, the Unsullied, would, Unsullied and the Dothraki would sail around the sea uh, to attack Casterly Rock. And everybody seems impressed by that, especially, I guess, since Tyrion is pro- being the biggest proponent of it, and it's his, I guess, hometown. So they seem all on board, and Danny dismisses everybody but asks for the Queen of Thorns to stick around and get a private word. And the Queen of Thorns tells Danny that she's listened to a bunch of clever men in her life. She's outlived them all because she does whatever the fuck she wants. She's not a sheep. And she's like, you're not a sheep either. You're a dragon, so be a dragon. Basically telling her to be a violent bully, which I feel like after the whole thing with Euron, at the end of this episode, I feel like Danny's going to come a little unhinged and want to let the dragon out of the cage. Yeah, so Lady Lena's advice, I mean, I think generally she's the smartest person in the room, but from like the actual perspective of how Danny takes over, Westeros, I think it's terrible advice, but I I think you're absolutely right that it, that that the later attack by Euron allows her to 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 go ham on the on Westeros. And let's think um, about uh, Queen of Thorns' motivations. She doesn't have any legacy. Yes. Her entire family's gone. Yes. So it makes so I I hate to. Say, um, she wants to burn everybody. Right. No no question about it. So, uh, one of my biggest things when I was in college, you studied logic, and there was this fallacy about, like, I forgot, and once again, I didn't pass it. No, I passed it, but I don't remember any of it. But I remember. You didn't pass it, don't lie. I did not pass it. Anyway, <laughs> there was a thing where I forgot the. Uh, it had a Latin term, or maybe it just had a term, but basically, you couldn't call into question the, the logic of an argument based on who was putting it forth. But guess what? In reality, that is always valid. This woman, the Queen of Thorns, is putting forth this argument based upon her contextual situation, which she has yeah. nothing left to lose for, live for. She's desperate, so of course she's going to put forth this argument. So this argument is instantly invalid based on her situation. Like Arguments don't exist in vacuums. They are delivered by human beings that have circumstances in the world, and the Queen of Thorns just wants fucking vengeance. And I totally agree with that. I just hate, you know, it's not like... Well, you you agree with her motivations, but you don't think that that should be I don't Danny's think it's smart. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I yeah. think she's just trying mm-hmm. to manipulate Danny. Um, yeah. You know, basically, basically saying, do this because it's best for me, but I'm going to tell you it's best for you. Which, that's an interesting turn for the Queen of Thorns. Uh, I really do like it. I hope they play that up because a Queen of Thorns that is also... Just completely motivated by vengeance is a lot of. That's a fun ass character. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm all about that. Uh, one other thing I want to say yeah. about this real quick is I. This is what I wanted in the first episode, and I understand we had to have the. And once again, I didn't feel the emotional impact of her climbing the, the thousand steps to get to Dragonstone all in silence. I wanted her war council with all these disparate people interacting with each other, and we got it here. But obviously, spoiler alerts, this is the last time all these people will be able to interact with each other. Yeah, yeah. But and I also, wanted this and I liked it. I think it also bears uh, bears pointing out that uh, it is interesting that this is a war council full of all women, for the most part, with the exception of 
I would argue that Tyrion and um, and and Varys are kind of secondary characters to the show. Um, so I, I mean that's that's interesting. Well, I, I, actually, considering like everybody was male driven, everything was male driven before. Now it seems like the most powerful army is kind of female driven. Well, I got an actual clip from the after the episode that I'm going to play right now, which basically yeah, it's one of the D and D's. I don't care to know which one. Uh, talking about how great they are that they put these women together. So let's listen to it. Right you know, now. I set that up for you. To Thanks, play I appreciate that. Here we go. I don't think there are that many situations in film or television where you see four women sitting around a table discussing power and strategy and war. We didn't really plan it that way, but once it landed on that, we knew that these things had to be discussed. We knew the plan to take Casterly Rock had to be put out there. I think it's a scene that had it been the exact same information situation being put forward by a bunch of old grizzled guys with gray beards, it would have been a lot less interesting to have it be Amelia at one end of the table and Diana at the other end of the table. To me, that just is such a breath of fresh air. A breath of fresh air. Uh, Except that Tyrion presented the entire plan. (laughs) Plus, like, these guys... I guess he's a woman because he's... he's Yes, he's short. I don't. <laughs> just the bigger thing is like you can't congratulate yourself on passing the Bechtel's test <laughs> when you've had rape as window dressing in other scenes. Like you also can't congratulate yourself if you know what the Bechtel test is. Yeah, I agree. You know, I I don't call myself a feminist, but I've also been called. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's move on from that bullshit. Okay. Um, all right. I guess, I guess this is you, yeah. Yeah, so next, Grey Worm arrives to say goodbye to Miss Andy. He's about to be deployed. He is not sure when he's returning. She wishes Grey Worm uh, good fortune, kind of coldly, and then uh, Grey Worm gives a speech about how she is his weakness. He was upset at first and explains how the Unsullied have no weaknesses, so this is a big deal. So now he has fear, and so does she. That they'll never see each other again, so they kiss, and then she drops her lady trowel. She asks to see his stump. He initially says no, but then she says she's got to see that stump. So then she says, I don't care about the fact that you're Kendall. Let's do this. And then they um, make sweet eunuch love with each other. Okay, I've got to say it. So despite the fact that I think this scene went on a little bit too long, like I don't think we needed to see... Grey Worm tap dance like Varishnikov on her clit with his tongue. I feel like they could have cut away as soon as his head went a little bit south out of frame and it would have been fine. But at the same time, I want to say that this was almost tastefully done. The nudity in this scene served a narrative and emotional purpose and I kind of felt it and I hate this relationship. I've hated this relationship the entire fucking show, but in this scene it kind of works. Do you agree to No, I do not care about Jim and Pam. <laughs> okay, they fine. 13 hours left in this fucking show, and they're wasting wasting time with him mashing his stump up against her. <laughs> this is crazy. I don't care. Get duped. I get, All right, I mean, so, listen, this was, I, so this was... Is this where you started? Let me finish started? saying this. I understand that there are a lot of people who like this, and I get what they're going for. They're they're making viewers have emotional connections with the characters. I, I just personally don't give a shit because we we discussed before. I think they're all co- they're just they're puppets, 
And so I just, I just want, I mean, I would rather have this 10 minutes devoted to dragon smashing or Euron, like actually having a coherent Euron attack scene. I just did not care about this. I do not begrudge people that do. I just didn't. Okay, I, and I wholly see your point, so I'm not going to begrudge you your take as well I because, like I said, I hated... not begrudge you for not begrudging me, so. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but I, I want to say that, you know, I'm no fan of this shit. I, I thought this relationship True. was pointless. Um, I don't like the characters. I, yeah, I think that Miss Sandy is basically a sounding board for hearing Danny's internal thoughts. Uh, and also, Miss Sandy is like a shitty version of the one in the books. The one in the books, like this twelve-year-old genius who, like, basically tells Danny what to do yeah. a lot of the time. This is just some lady who is pretty rule-weary. Is definitely smart, but is more or less just like scene dressing. I, I mean, I don't ever think I've ever seen Miss Sandy do anything that really st- stuck out. You know, I agree. Uh, uh, she's underutilized. It's it's not a good character. Like, no offense to the actress. Like, those are great tits. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. <laughs> um, No offense to the actress. She does a good job. It's just that, like, I feel like the character is underdeveloped. Just like Grey Worm's uh, character is underdeveloped. And you can't really develop Grey Worm's character too much because... His life is tragic. He didn't get to form a personality because he was sold into slavery as a child and raised to be an unfeeling soldier, right? Yes, he made joke. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. God, I'll never forgive him for that one scene <laughs> in season six where they like just stuck around Tyrion and George. No, Tyrion, Grey Worm, and Missandei telling jokes for, what, five, six minutes? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, listen, I get it. I understand how people like it a lot. It's just not my, my not my thing. So okay, so moving on, uh, we go back to uh, the Citadel. Sam is being a book caddy for Archmaster, uh, whatever his fuck his name is, and um, he asks about possible cures for Grayscale and that he might have discovered one. Uh, he mentions who the guy's name is, and the Archmaster says, "Oh yeah, I know that guy. Do you know how he died? He fucking died of Grayscale. So shut the fuck up." And just carry my books. And basically, so Sam gets shut down, but Sam ain't no fucking punk. So Sam, another, you know, is being brave by just doing what needs to be done. He did it last week by breaking into the dangerous book session or section of the library. (laughs) Uh, and now he's being brave. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you imagine if it was him, like in that entrapment movie, where he's dropping down like Catherine Zeta Jones, <laughs> carefully moving through the lasers of? Oh, was, <laughs> yeah. It was I don't know. Was that Mission Impossible or Entrapment? Who I cares? think it was Entrapment. Yeah. Okay, uh, but anyway, moving just like on. the idea of him like uh, just moving stealthily in a leather cat suit through. I feel like he can do it. <laughs> the lasers. But anyway, he uh, so so he takes it upon his uh, self to be brave, and he's like, you know what? Fuck this! Fuck all these idiots at the. <laughs> Which makes me think. I think we mentioned this last week. He's definitely getting kicked out of here. Like he's just breaking huge rules he's left and right. Out big time. He's definitely gonna get flunked out. He's, he's gonna get expelled. Yeah, he's getting yeah. expelled sooner or later. You can't make this. You can't, you know, uh, break the rules this bad and not have any consequences. But anyway, he uh, he reminds me of. The- Fisher of uh, of Hogwarts. Of of Hogwarts, yep. Yeah, that's basically what this is. Uh, anyway, Jorah's uh, writing a letter home to his Khaleesi while he's at summer camp at the Citadel. Uh, that's what I wanted to do for this week's uh, uh, 
episode art is basically just rewrite that letter that he's writing. Dear Khaleesi, people are nice to me. I've got a girlfriend. I'm having a very good time. Please send snacks. Uh, But anyway, he's writing a letter to Khaleesi. I guess it's his suicide letter. Uh, When Sam comes in all, hey, what's up? Uh, Basically, he explains who he is, how he knew his dad, and how he's not going to let him die today. And also that he needs to get drunk, drink all this rum, because I don't have any anesthesia. And by the way, you can't scream, but I'm going to take off layers of your skin. And Jorah bites down, and Sam starts in on it, um, cutting away a massive part of his pectoral uh, epidermis, I guess. And, um, you know, uh, Sam's doing it, and Jorah's suffering mightily, and it's going on quite a bit. And we get this horribly gross cut to somebody eating a crusty pie in the next scene, which is another potty humor kind of disgusting thing that we got uh, similar to last week's Citadel thing where he was ladling soup and poop from similar pans. So I feel like yeah. going through this, like, disgust, uh, it's not... It's yeah, not yeah this, is, this, this is a real problem still. for me. They're, they're being disgusting for disgusting sakes. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why, what the point of it is. It, that's not like a George Martin thing. It's not like George Martin, oh, remember the time that Ned got his head cut off and then, like... You know, there were a bunch of pus came in and came out of his neck, yeah, and somebody then, like drank it. Like, th- like George Martin <laughs> is not about dip bruschetta in it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. George Martin's not about like gross out humor or gross no. out anything. And I feel like they're going to this well. Maybe this is like their go to since they're not putting sexual violence. Maybe like they have a um, a producer saying. Now, uh, what do you want to do, Dan and Dave? I want to show somebody getting raped, and then the producer's like, "We can't do that. No, no, no." All right, I want to show somebody eating poo-poo. Well, fine. <laughs> like, I feel like this well, is, like, the alternative. I, I think the the, the, week, the one last week made a little bit more sense. Um, it was gross, and I don't think it was necessary. And as a viewer with a weaker stomach, I did not appreciate it. This one just seemed, like, gross for gross's sake. I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not watching a fucking Saw movie. You know, I just want to watch a show that's interesting. Um, so... I did a couple things I wanted to say. Uh, first, you know, the um, the whole conversation about uh, what would the name of the book be, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a big theory out there that uh, Sam is, is writing standing. the Song of Ice and Fire. Yes, for George R. R. Martin. So I thought this was uh, at least a, a fairly veiled allusion to it. So I think this might kind of confirm it. What, what did you think about that? Well, my whole theory is that A Song of Ice and Fire, the title, uh, is a story like songs or stories yeah. in the past. Like uh, this isn't just me coming up with it. Uh, Homer's Odyssey was, uh, you know, one of the oldest stories ever. And it was an oral tradition, meaning it had some kind of rhythm rhythm and people would tell this story like it was a song. And that's a great way to remember something. Like if you have to remember to like, I have to bury the kid's body before I go back to work. I would turn that into a song and say, make sure I bury that kid's body before I go back to work. You need to work on your freestyle raps. I'm no Kendrick uh, uh, Le'Veon Bell or whatever his name is. Yeah, okay, white guy. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But but no, no, I think that uh, the Song of Ice and Fire is a story. So him calling it a story means that it's a story that's kind of already been written, whether 
somebody in the uh, in the story is writing it or it's a tale that has been written down and we're you know it's kind of like a in a galaxy far far away a long time ago and we're just so reading it now do you think that sam ends up being more or less a proxy for george r, r. martin by the time of the the, the series ends uh, i think i think there's two proxies for george Hobbit r, r. Style. martin i think it's Tyrion and sam like Tyrion is uh definitely a lot George Martin George R. R. Martin, but I feel like Sam is when George R. R. Martin is being honest with himself. Um yeah. you know, because Tyrion's like a guy who's kind of has a crippled body, but is incredibly smart and incredibly uh proficient and Zero. and yeah. yeah, and able. And I, f- I feel that if George Martin is being honest with himself by the way, Everybody in this story is George R. R. Martin because you only, I mean, he's right, he's putting yeah. his words in these people's mouth. So he's even Sansa, <laughs> a pretty girl. He's like, George R. R. Martin's like, if I was a pretty 12 year old girl, this is what I would think. And well, that sounds like you saw what happens to Sansa. Yeah, but, but, I mean, he's just yeah, like, if we, and I deserve it. If Sam leaves the Citadel and he's wearing uh, overalls, I think we know who he is. If he has so. a sailor's cap on, yeah, <laughs> yeah and yeah. glasses. The one, uh, the big takeaway from this scene was, uh, or not big takeaway, but at least interesting detail. It was curious to me that Jorah did not seem to care at all about his father, uh, which is crazy because even though Jorah is generally a tough guy, he's very sentimental about certain relationships. For instance, Danny, and also he's the one who put his father in the uh, in the uh, Night's Watch because he was a slaver, and then his uh, Gior went to the Night's Watch because we assume he was so. Shamed. I don't know if that's confirmed, but that's that's the assumption. But uh, oh, okay. I, I will say that it seemed like Jorah was in shock, like he was a man that was mentally preparing himself for suicide or his own death. So I will forgive the fact that he wasn't... That's fair. That's fair. Uh, and I, and once again, let's just talk about it now. Let's speculate. Fuck it. If Assuming Sam succeeds, which Sam isn't going to catch Grayscale and die. I mean, that could happen, but I think that's far-fetched. So I think more likely Sam's going to succeed. So what role is Jorah going to play going forward? Is he going to join the Night's Watch? Oh, God. Yeah, there's so many like crazy theories like he could go... Like he's going back to Danny and saying, Hey, he I'm cured. He Valyria and bring all the stone men back. Yep. He could cure all the stone men. You're right. He could cure all the stone yeah. men he's and, also and now, make them soldiers. He's theoretically fireproof. I mean... There is, there's a bunch of theories. I think that the, the simplest explanation is probably the best one on this. He returns to Danny, does something uh, that's heroic that results in him being killed. Yeah, I think uh, he's definitely going to. Yeah. I mean, any character like Jamie, like Jorah, who has a sin in their past, can never fully uh, redeem themselves. Uh, and I feel like poetic justice is they die in the pursuit, which is fine. I, I don't think there's any question that he dies. Uh, but I, but you know what? I could be wrong about that. You know what? There is a little bit of a question. I just don't know what his role is because all the other theories. There's a lot of theories out there. That I think that are very interesting, like the Stoneman one. But I and then also like being able to now that he's inoculated with this um, with this stone skin, he can just face up to uh, any attacks by by the uh, whites. I mean, there's a whole theory that well, let me the ask- uh, Oh, sorry, go ahead. The stone men are basically the the analog of the um, of the whites, and that they're an undead army, and the, there's all these crazy things. But I think this again, I, I won't repeat it again. But this simple explanation. Yeah. 
Now, to cure, uh, let me get your take on this, because I didn't understand Sam's explanation. Uh, because in the picture he showed, uh, as far as the instructions he's following for this procedure, it looks like just a big strip of skin was taken off the person in the in the book. So I'm asking, does, does Jordan need to have all his infected skin removed, or just that big section on his pec? Uh, and I that- did not look. I turned away from the screen when he was doing it. Oh, not when he was cutting. I think he was looking at a book and we saw like a figurine of like a huge patch of skin, roughly the size he cut away. Well, the real shame is that uh, we don't have, uh, we don't, (laughs) what's his name around? The flayed dead skin. Oh, yeah. God damn it. (laughs) That would have been amazing. Yeah. If you would have kept kept fucking Ramsey around and being like, we've got a job for you. Yeah, it's almost like Operation Paperclip, where <laughs> after World War II, where the Americans brought over the Nazi rocket scientists and said, "Hey, yeah, yeah, that's Operation pretty good." Man. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, that's definitely an original thought, and and I am proud of you. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm being absolutely sincere. Yeah, Operation Flame Man. And so next we have a fun transition from pus and cutting uh, gross stuff to. Somebody eating a pie, and uh, we're in a uh, local. I don't know what do you, what do you call these places where they whorehouse? in? I guess, in no, it's not a brothel. In uh, Aria's eating or sitting still, and then uh, Hot Pie strolls up. He's very excited to see Ari. Uh, she our, uh, Hot Pie sits down and sits down a tray of food that was destined for someone else. When Ari just grabs their food, um, totally doing her impression of the hound. No question about it. Oh, good call. Look at that. Yeah. Another great yeah. Uh, original observation. And I'm being completely sincere. I, I, never, yeah, I didn't that, think about that. But now that she said it, it makes all the sense in the world. She seems like yeah. the hound eating chicken like it's no fucking big deal, you know? Yeah, yeah it's just grabbing other people's stuff, doesn't care. Stuffing food down her mouth, um, no no concern whatsoever. And it's interesting um, as as the scene goes. So let me, let me finish the scene. We'll talk yep. about it a little bit more. So then Hot Pie, uh, uh, Hot Pie brings up Rianne and how she was searching for Arya. Ari uh, says that she found the Brienne, but doesn't really go into details. The uh, Hot Pie asks what uh, Arya's been up to, and Arya kind of passes uh, or, or deflects the questions and instead pounds Ale. Arya then says that she's headed to King's Landing when Hot Pie tells her that the Boltons are dead and John is king of the north. Does not bring up um, Sansa curiously. Arya's demeanor really changes and, uh, from the uh, kind of hound imitation that she was doing, and then uh, and it seems like she's headed to Winterfell. Hot Pie then makes a pass at her and tells her that she's hot, and then we see Arya out on a horse outside, looking back and forth, trying to uh, weigh, weigh her options, and then she starts heading one way on a horse, and uh, we presume that she's headed north. Yep. Um, so, of course, uh, first I got started with Hot Pie. Thank God that kid still got work. Um, Holy he shit. Dude, he's gotten fatter, though. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I, I was hoping he's trimmed down, but damn, I guess not. Um, but I did like, I would say my biggest takeaway with this scene is the way Arya acted. So she yeah. acted cold and distant. Not cold and distant, but definitely more cold than somebody who hadn't seen somebody for years should have acted, you know? So she's acting like a weirdo. She's acting like a psychopath. She's acting like somebody who has been detached from normal emotion. Like, Hot Pie is obviously 
relieved to see her that she's not dead, happy to see her. And Arya's just like, hey, what's up, Hi Pie? Hey, can I eat this? No, like it's no big deal. But I think a lot of it's an affect, um, you know, and this is part of part two of the uh, humanization of Ari. Um, again, after the last episode, the Lannister men. Um, and also, I mean, I think it's this is important to her development to not just being a crazy maniac killer. Well, yeah, and that gets illustrated later, too. So obviously, no, we don't know, but we assume she didn't kill those Lannister guards or that she ran into. But yeah. somebody in another... So I did this last season. I'm doing this for the first season just to make sure we're not completely ridiculous with our um, insight. I listened to other Game of Thrones podcasts after our, we recorded ours last week, and somebody did point out the fact that uh, Arya and the Hound's roles have basically swapped, in which the Hound is now becoming more remorseful for what he's done and how he's... I don't know, dealing with the consequences of his actions of killing people, and Arya is going the other direction with it. So Arya is becoming more like the whole, the Hound, and the Hound is becoming more like what Arya used to be, which I think is amazing, and that's kind of fleshed out here as well. Do you have an opinion about that? No, I agree with you. I really like the transition from of her just being a maniac and grabbing whatever food and you know, she can shove in her mouth. Not being concerned about that it was going to somebody else and transitioning like quickly into somebody who is like now a human again, I thought. Yeah, and she touched him on the shoulder and they made a big deal about that. Like Hot Pie looked at their hand on his shoulder. Don't get yourself killed. Yeah. Yeah, And he's just like, that was, that was the, the equivalent of Arya Stark like hugging somebody and saying, I miss you. Take care of yourself. I love you. Uh, That's how much that, that one moment meant. So once again, just great acting. It played out well. We got fan service by seeing Hot Pie again. Like this is the kind of shit where I say like this sees this episode in particular was amazing. Um, yeah, in just these little moments. Oh, you know what? And now, by the way, Hot Pie is totally fired from Applebee's after just giving up the food to someone else who's what's not supposed to be. That was somebody too. else's Oriental chicken salad. Yeah, yeah, they had two for one chicken tendies. Uh, yeah. Uh, one last thing too. Um. So I understand that the two guys that were talking in the um, inn next to Arya that she was kind of overhearing, the one guy that was eating the shitty, disgusting, like, pus pie that was part of the transition. God damn. I realized they were only in there to illustrate that Arya's going the opposite direction of them, and they are definitely going to King's Landing. But they introduced those people, and I was wanted to know more about them, which I thought was a problem. Because, <laughs> because they're like, oh, this, you know, there's problems in King's Landing. That means we can get more money. Let's do it. So I didn't know what kind of like shady dealings they were into, but I kind of wanted to know more, which I feel like was a problem because we don't learn more. They were just in there to serve a purpose. Right, 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 right. But other than that, I'm ready to move on. You? All right, let's do it. All right, so John gets Raven um, at uh, Winterfell. From Sam, once again, the confirmation that there's a mountain, and they keep fucking saying the word mountain of dragonglass on Dragonstone. Imagine that. Um, so he shares this uh, news with uh, the same allies that he had from before, the guys that basically voted him king of the north and the, the people that he told him that uh, his plans for uh, forgiving the Karstarks and the... Umbers, basically everybody's just hanging out, including the fucking people from the Vale, which does make a lot of sense. 
You would think they would get like some kind of reward and just be on their way. Anyway, everybody's hanging out. John tells them all about their this raven from Sam, or that there's a bunch of dragon glass on Dragonstone, and also how he got another raven from Tyrion Lannister, telling him that he can meet with the uh, Queen of Dragons, basically Daenerys, and his allies are instantly um, dubious. He says they need dragon glass to kill White Walkers. And that dragon glass, and this is an interesting point I want to talk about later, can kill White Walkers and their army, which is news to me. I just thought it would kill the White Walkers. But anyway, who cares? Um, no one thinks it's a good idea. Uh, Sansa openly questions him. Uh, fucking uh, the guy from the Vale, Bron John Royce, questions him. Royce. Glover, who should, Fucking Glover, that fucking cunt who should just keep his mouth shut going forward. Oh, is, yeah. <laughs> This is a guy who just keeps, he keeps fucking up. Anyway, he says it, but the the thing that gets to John is Lady Mormont, the girl, uh, also speaks against him. And John's like, hey, guys, I realize, you know, this is an unpopular thing, but you elected me king. I didn't want to be, but I'm going to do what's best. Basically saying, fuck you, I do what I want. Says he's going to leave, but he's going to leave Sansa in charge. And Sansa seems kind of placated by this whole thing. Um, so let's stop right there, uh, before going any further. What do you think about this little mini scene? It's the, I have the same issue I did as the last one. Why didn't John talk to Sands about his plan beforehand? I think they'd be yep. able to pre- present a united front. I mean, it's just silly. I mean, he knows she's mouthy if he doesn't. Yeah, and he looks back at her when he says yeah. it. Like, he's, he's addressing an entire room of people that are, like, lords and ladies or whatever, and he's looking back at Sansa saying... And that's why I'm going to go meet with this bitch. And you're yeah. like, why? You could have fucking said that to her uh, before you made this uh, whole thing. I don't know. You're right. 100%. Yeah. Uh, the shot of Littlefinger in the back of the room, I swear that's a copy and paste from like three other episodes. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it, this is the same, you know, it's the same set. So mo- more than likely they recorded all three of these scenes in one go. Yeah. But he's, I mean, out of all these lords in this room, Littlefinger has to be among the most powerful in terms of, of men. I would think him and Bronze John. I mean, I think Bronze John is the second most powerful guy in the room. Behind Who's Bronze John? He's the guy from the Vale that, um, he has... Oh, I thought that was John Royce. Br- Bronze John Royce. In the okay. book, he is dressed in all bronze, which obviously isn't the case here. Except for Littlefinger already, uh, remember that scene with the Sweet Robin a couple seasons ago? He, it is already clear that 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 Littlefinger has control over uh, Sweet Robin. So and where is Bronx Sweet Robin, Robin at this point? Like, is he just back in the Vale uh, chilling? Oh, he's doing something creepy. Let's, what we Let's be honest. Creepy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also, I mean, I agree with John's plan. Uh, I don't know if there's a better plan because. And I don't think that John communicated it to these people very well, because John knows that just whoever these dummies in the room and their their fealty, it's not going anywhere. They're going to die. So if John was able to uh, explain to them in a in a persuasive manner that they either get these dragons or all the fucking dead, then they might actually agree with him. Instead, he's out there arguing with Sansa about what they're supposed to do. So well, This is a callback to what I mentioned earlier in the episode, and let's flesh this out. Why the fuck doesn't John mention that he is a resurrected corpse? Ever. Yeah. He should just say, hey guys, 
let me undo this lace and let me undo that lace and I'm gonna open this tunic up and see these nine stab wounds. I should be dead. I am living, breathing magic. Shut the fuck up, or I will kill you all. Like, like, yeah. or or something. Just like mentioning. No one mentions the fact that John should be dead, ever. He's the resurrected king of the north. I mean, it's yeah, weird, but right? you know what? The, but well, you know what it is though. I think is, um, and there's certainly more of this in the earlier episodes where John is kind of dumb, and I think he's gotten. Oh smarter yeah, he's definitely naive. Book. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, he's, I don't think he's naive anymore. I just don't think he, he – he's kind of a guy who rules from the gut. He's not an orator that rallies people to his side. Yeah. Instead, he d- demonstrates it through action. So if there was a strong orator in this position, probably could take these things and, and make all these uh, northern lords follow him. Well, we've also said they, that, like, Sansa, her points are not wrong. She's, the way she's choosing to challenge John in the moment in front of everybody is the problem. So Sansa right. knows what's going on, and I feel like John's making a lot of the same mistakes that got his ass stabbed at Castle Black. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. All right, so, so let's move on. So John yeah. later is in the crypts. Staring at his dad's statue, so I guess they made his dad a statue down there in the crypts. And he's interrupted by Littlefinger who comes down, and basically Littlefinger is just diarrhea out of his mouth, just basically spouting out like, you know, this is your dad. He was a good guy anyway. I, I wanted to, to bang saying, your mom. I, I really want to bang your mom. I I want to bang your sister. Anyway, he's just trying to snake charm John. Yeah, but John isn't falling for it, and he goes to leave. He's like, I don't have anything to say for you. Littlefinger says, well, you could say thank you, motherfucker, because I kind of saved your ass. And John's basically, <laughs> at some point, Littlefinger, after John, that stopped John's in his tracks. So he's like, yeah, I am in debt to this guy. But then Littlefinger makes a mistake of saying that I loved your mother as I love your sister, Sansa. And that's too much for John. He grabs Littlefinger bodily and chokes his ass against the wall, saying, if you talk to my sister, I'll fucking kill you myself, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, yeah, and that was exact. That was almost a shot-for-shot shot remake of when uh, Ned, Ned slammed him yeah. against the wall. Yeah, yeah in back the- in season one, once again, another callback. And once again, yep. that's a totally valid thing, and I love it. I buy it. Good decision, showrunners slash producers, whoever did this. Great decision. Um yeah, and the guys, uh, there's another podcast, uh, I won't say its name, but let's just say it rhymes with Moshame of Mofrones. Um, they, they pointed out that this is the, he, that Littlefinger has now been chokeslammed by two generations of, of Are you talking about Mauled Move? Mauled Coup? Uh, yes, I'm sorry, Mauled Move? <laughs> Moshame yeah. of Mofrones podcast? Yeah, uh, they are pretty good fuckers. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, but two generations of being chokeslammed by the same family. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like it's not two generations. It's more just trying to get symmetry between um, John and his father, uh, Ned. Yeah. And I mean, the shot, the shot was like almost identical, uh, just a different place. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing I did want to point out, which I want to ask other people, and I'm going to ask other more established nerds like Preston Jacobs, and I'm going to ask the people of uh, History of Westeros, which if you guys don't know who those people are, they're much better than us. You should listen to them instead. Anyway. I've never heard of them, but they, they got to dominate us. Yeah, they're definitely dominating us. They're definitely in the top 50 Game of Thrones podcasts out there because you fucking nerds won't fucking take a time to goddamn write a fucking oh, review. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, God. I just I get excited. Anyway. 
And I want to ask people about this because when John leaves the crypts after choking out Littlefinger, we see that the wolf statues that guard the entrance to the crypt have had their heads cut off. And I I noticed. Oh yeah, I I I noticed it, and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" And if that's true, and I watched it a second time, that's an amazing attention to detail. That this is uh, evidence of the Bolton occupation, and of course, the Boltons or the Greyjoys would behead the direwolves, but the fact that that's in there and it's just a throwaway thing is amazing. Yeah, they do. They do have a lot of those details. So let me ask you this, Littlefinger, what the fuck is this plan at this point? Now that's my. I, I said this last week. Littlefinger's yeah. a fucking idiot. He went from being a master planner to having no plan. And remember, I asked you about. It. I was like, yes. maybe he has something brewing beneath the uh, behind the scenes, but we're giving no evidence of it. And guess what? This week we're given more no evidence of it. I really think his best play is to just go back to the Vale and manipulate Robin Aaron, um, Sweet Robin, the fucking idiot sit sucker. That's his best play. I don't know why he's hanging out in Winterfell. But that's um, not his play. Is not to just uh, like have the veil. His play is to be the king. So I know, but he should bide his time and wait for a better moment to make his play because nothing I think he, about I think right he's stuck now. Between the two, I think he's stuck between the two things. Where I, he he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He he doesn't have an obvious play to get to the the crown. But at the same time, if he goes back, he's clearly taking a step back. And if you take a step back in that world then you're you're kind of you're gonna lose a lot of the people might be following you uh, i don't think so i think that's his only play i uh, once again i think that maybe you're right like he should yeah. like you don't want to take a step back you don't want to like retreat but you got to live to fight another day and i feel he's gotta i mean it's just setting up that little finger is gonna fucking get destroyed at some point like yeah everything's sliding to the point where little finger is gonna overextend He's going to do something, he's going to hurt somebody, or he's going to overplay his hand, and he's just going to get killed. And that's a shame, because he's a, he used to be a great bad guy, just like Cersei. He was. And, and the and theory now, is that uh, Arya is going to kill him, and then she has his face to use, and then, in theory, she could also use that face to trick Cersei and kill him. Cersei. That'd be great, because why not? You know, I hate yeah. Cersei. Um one yeah, other thing I wanted to say about this this scene is is does it seem like uh, Jon Snow's accent is becoming more and more pronounced as as this episodes go along? So I wanted to mention that the the guys from Mauled Cove, the Bame of Dones podcast, did have what? the same observation about how he sounds like he's more <laughs> Scottish and he's like like he's just very more mumbly and more. Uh, lack of a better word, ethnic sounding. Um, but I, I didn't make oh. that observation, but somebody else has. So, no, it seems like he's pronouncing less and less of the syllables and words. But I, I don't know. So he's like he uh, Christian Bale in The Dark Knight. Was that precisely? My parents are dead. Anyway, moving on. Uh, where do we go after so next? Next, we go to presumably to the north. I don't, although I don't think the show confirms it. Arya is doing some camping and looking at her fire and her horses are spooked. Arya becomes nervous and pulls out her sword. Suddenly a pack of wolves appear and apparently uh, wolves almost do like a West Side Story show where they all show their teeth before actually attacking. Yeah, it's a Mexican um, wolf standoff. Is what they call it. 
Sure. So then uh, Nymeria appears, and uh, it's clear that she is leading this pack. Ari asks Nymeria to join her, but uh, then Nymeria and the pack scamper away. Ari is sad, but realizes Nymeria is no longer um, no longer just her dire wolf. She's the pack leader and says something, a line that it, it's not you, which is a throwback or callback to a line where Ned said that she wa- uh, said that he will dress her like a queen or something like that, and Arya said that's not me. And suddenly, um, every watcher is sad that these assholes have continued to ditch the direwolves. Yeah, that's my bigger takeaway. Before I go yeah. even further, I want to say I couldn't work up the emotion to be disappointed or excited to see Namiri again because I know the show's track record for how much they don't give a fuck about direwolves. Where is where is Ghost? Where the fuck is Ghost? Ghost is still alive, unlike yes. uh, Summer, uh, who was killed in the um, you know Night's King attack on the whatever the tree underneath the hill where the children uh, of the forest were. Uh, right. So Ghost is still alive, and Nymeria is alive. That's the only two dire wolves that are alive, right? To, to our knowledge, yes. Yeah. So. The bigger point here, I think, is oh, not the bigger point. The point I want to make. Uh, this is when callbacks go awry. I, I watched the uh, after the show, and they're like, "Oh, this is a direct callback to when you know Ned says, hey, 'Hey, we'll get you with a nice lord,' and she says, "That's not me," and she repeats it to Nymeria. That's not a that's not a line that stuck in my head. I didn't fucking know that until I watched the after the show. Yeah, like, I'm with you. So I feel like this is when callbacks go wrong. This is like when they overstretched their hand here. Uh, but I did like the whole tone of the scene and the fact that like, at, like I've said that one of the reasons why I've enjoyed the show in the season six and now going forward is that it's a lot of fan service. And you know what would have been great fan service? Fucking the crazy psychopath child who's already powerful and can like steal people's faces getting a wolf army <laughs> at her back. Yeah. How fucking awesome would that be? So the fact that they denied that to us, I kind of think is amazing. And they made it like, uh, Nymeria, you know, is basically doing to Arya what Arya did to Nymeria in season one. Um, saying, you know, no thanks. They, I'm not about that life. They, they turn like a sad thing into like a different, Sad thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, but I don't. I I would guess that we might see Nymeria again. Oh, oh I, we are definitely seeing Nymeria again. So. Like a lot of yeah. people, are like I hope we don't see the Hollywood kind of ending where like Nymeria and her pack of wolves come out of nowhere. Well, guess All what, motherfucker? Uh, yes. <laughs> that is exactly what we're going to see. Yeah. I will bet the farm on that shit. We will see Nymeria and we will see her fucking wolves again at some poignant big battle. Uh, and there's no stopping it. Fuck you if you think you can avoid it. There's no way that's not going to happen. So let me ask you this. Do you think that uh, that that encounter strengthened Arya's uh, resolve to rejoin her family? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So this is a big, uh, like other people, and once again, I've been watching a couple of reviews. There's It's funny because certain people think yes, some people think that, She's yeah. gone like, hey, wait a minute, I can't go home. I can't go back to Winterfell. I'm definitely going to go south to King's Landing and kill Cersei. And there's other people that think, oh, wait, I, you know, you're different now. You've been changed beyond belief. 
I don't is she a wolf pack or is she a lone wolf? Right. I mean, the, the, That's the either big thing. Of those two is, things could be reached out of that. I, out of I agree. So I am yeah. I am directly stuck in the middle. I think it's ridiculous for Arya to change directions again to go back south to murder Cersei. So I still think she's going to go north. Um, but, but having said but, that, but, but, but you say that, but John's going to be gone by the time yeah, she gets. But there. but assuming maybe Bran will be there. And Sansa is definitely going there. Yes. Is still there. So I feel like I, my my personal feeling, and once again, I feel like it go either direction. Uh, my personal gut feeling is that she will continue back down to Winterfell, thinking that, yeah, hey, I've changed. I'm a different person. Um, but you know what? This is who I am, and this is this is where I'm. This is where I feel comfortable. This is as much. I do want to retain some of myself. You know, I don't want to be a complete lone wolf and go off and kill Cersei and do my own thing. Um, so once again, yeah, you're right. I thought the same thing. It's like coming face to face with Nymeria, is it reinforcing her lone wolfness or is it reinforcing her being part of a pack? I don't know. And I feel like it can it can play both ways. Which that's I mean, that's pretty brilliant. I yes, mean this absolutely. Thing, yeah. 100%. And, and I you know, uh, I think uh, mauled move guys pointed out that uh, during the the post show thing, the both the writer or the D and D kept saying how they were writing this over and over, which yeah. indicates that that they are no longer um, they're no longer working off the scripts because if you remember season one of the show, I mean it was like cut and paste the most important scenes of the books. Yeah, this, and that's why season made, one is considered yeah. one of the best seasons ever. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. To, no yeah. offense to the people I wish committed suicide. Yes. Um, but so, yes. But so I mean, th- this is I, I mean, this is kind of a stroke of genius. If they're actually if they wrote this, I have a lot of respect for them. Um, I have a lot yeah. of respect for these guys. Uh, let's just say it right now. I I think D and D do a great job. We just think that they have a horrible, horrible weakness that needs to be fucking stamped out. Primarily the should. sexual violence. Be chemically sterilized. And let's yes. talk about it right now. Yes, they should be chemically sterilized. Uh, uh, let's talk about it right Ster- now. St- what is it? Sterilized? I, I mumbled sterilized. But yeah. Sterilized, yes. Uh, let's talk about it real quick. So it also, news from the week, D&D's next project after they finish Game of Thrones is going to be an alternative history uh, universe in which the South won the Civil War or the Civil War is still going on in which we have the Confederate States of America and the United States of America, and they're coexisting, which, once again, a terrible decision for these people who can't handle who who can't handle sexuality and sexual violence. For them to take on this very sensitive topic of race is a ridiculous choice for me. I feel like they should just, like, I don't know, do a kid's animated cartoon or two. I, I, I feel like this is a terrible move on their part. Uh, let's just move you know past. What? I think this is a terrible move on your part because it's almost, almost like you don't recognize that the South will rise again. <laughs> yeah, so. probably All right, let's move on. If you don't want to talk about it, fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, you're next, buddy. Oh, am I? All right. So yeah. last scene. All right. This is the last scene. So this is where I want to say the episode went from a 5.0 to a 4.5. Spoiler alert for the end of the episode where I rate this stuff. Okay, so next uh, we get the last scene where we see the Sand Skanks being generally obnoxious while riding in the Grey, F- Grey Joy fleet back to Dorne. I, I, I would like to interrupt very yep, quickly. Go ahead. Because 
the 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 three of them was so fucking annoying. Their their terrible fake accents are just awful. I mean, I, I cannot stand them. I, I just I want to interrupt to say that, and I know it does not add to the scene. I know but, it doesn't add to the scene, but I I want to also since you stopped me, elaborate in which I want to stop, elaborate, <laughs> and listen. Yes, that um. I'm back with a brand new. I'm back with a brand new. No, this is. I said it before. I'll say it again. It's like a child where you ask a child to like, "Hey, can you do me a favor and play Canon and D on your uh, violin?" And you love that song, or you don't love that song. You appreciate it for being beautiful. Maybe it's not your favorite song, but the kid didn't practice it at all. He doesn't know. He's not very good at playing the violin, and he's playing it, and it's going on for like five minutes, and you eventually just want it to stop. That's how I feel about the Sand Skanks. It wasn't done well at all. Like, regardless of how well it was done in the books, it was done shittily on the show, and I'm glad that it's over. Now, having said all that, this is what it goes down. So, it could, I mean, it could have been funny. I mean, just bring in somebody yeah. who's, like, funny. You know, like, bring, pay uh, Patton Oswald $50,000 to write some jokes for these people. I mean, yeah, right. something. Uh, not even jokes. These people, the idea that they're tough is because they're dicks to each other and they're obnoxious little children, uh, which is what they are. Uh, but they, they do enforce, I will say, if I want to give this, uh, the Sand Skanks uh, or the showrunners a little bit of leeway, they do reinforce that one of the Sand Skanks is the daughter of Alaria. Um, you know, Miss Dorn, basically. Uh, so that's one thing that this scene does well, I guess. If I'm give, being very generous, and I am. So uh, they're just being obnoxious, talking just shit, being annoying. And then we cut to Alaria and Yara and Theon in the cab of a ship. Uh, they're drinking, uh, oh, no. I guess, iron-born uh, ale. And Alaria says it's piss, uh, saying that, hey, if we go to Dorne, we're going to sh- we're gonna drink real wine, some Dornish red. Basically, uh, Ilaria and uh, Yara flirt hardcore, and guess what? Theon, some for some reason, isn't down with a threesome with his sister and some weird Dornish woman. I guess you can blame it on his penis, but I'm guessing if Theon still had his penis, he probably wouldn't be up for this threesome. <coughs> Are you okay? That part, I was sneezing. That part was troubling to me. I, I don't know why he wasn't into it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. This course is terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's dumb. It's weird. Mind. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And it seems invasion. salacious for no reason. Oh, <coughs> Jesus! Stop sneezing. Oh, Jesus! Restart. We just Maybe lost one, three viewers. One, two. Cut this out. You I will. I find fine. Fine. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess in Dorne, they're into this stuff, but I don't think we've seen any indication that the Iron Islanders are into incest. Yeah, it, it, they're, the, these aren't Targaryens or anything. They're not Lannisters. Like, why would they be into incest? I will tell you, the one thing I did enjoy about this whole scene, which I hated the whole thing, but the one thing I did like was, like, Theon looking at Yara and Yara going the... Given the shrug, like, I don't know. I just get yeah. pussy. And I love that. I love that. I hope I don't get diddled in front of you. <laughs> what but can I say? Yeah. But also, it's, it's funny, though, because if you remember uh, Theon, the second season or so, he tried to, yeah. uh, you know, digitally penetrate his sister. 
Oh yeah, so he kind of wanted this in some weird way. You're right. Yeah, which was uh, super weird, and I still haven't gotten over that. <laughs> well, he didn't know it was his sister at the time, but now he does know it's his sister. You gotta yeah, think well, he still kind of wants it. I mean, oh yeah, she definitely knew she was just fucking with her brother, and that was a scene straight out of the books. Um, yeah, so that's fine, I guess. But like, Theon's definitely not about it. You know, he's all uh, gray worm about. I don't want anybody to see my nub. Um, anyway, before things get too disgusting between Ilaria and Yara, there's a disturbance and the actual Ford invasion. Yeah, the foreign invasion. Oh god. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a, a loud banging, and they all go upstairs, and guess what? Euron attacks with his ships and fire, and somehow they're taken unawares. Euron's, his boat, his, I guess, Vanguard boat, smashes into... Oh, uh, sorry. I gotta I gotta cut that out. Yeah, we, are, we both have issues here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... it's oh, getting, we've been talking season. for two fucking hours, okay? Yeah, I know, yeah. Um. Okay. So, um, two fifty one. Oh, that's fine. So, uh, fucking Euron's uh boat somehow finds Alaria and Yara's boat and crashes into it. Uh, and a uh, thing comes down and and like kind of jaws grabs the other boat. And the jaws kind of smash some guy, which I thought was very tropey. Like it's just like the bell from the um, the Great Sept of Baylor killing somebody, smashing somebody in last season. I feel like they always have to have smashing people, which I think is dumb. And uh, Euron is the first one over this plank, as well as a grabber thing that's on the ship. Anyway, he comes in like gangbuster with his axe, and he's just like, ah, I'm a badass, even though I only weigh 160 pounds, and I wear eyeliner, and I have leather pants. Anyway, he's just killing people, and the slaughter happens immediately. People are getting slaughtered left and right. Two of the sand skanks uh, are quickly dispatched by Euron himself, and the best part is that Euron uses their own weapons against them. Euron stabs the girl that looks like... Um, Michelle Rodriguez with her own spear and then chokes the girl with the whip with her own whip and kills her. Meanwhile, uh, the cute one uh, goes downstairs to protect her own mother, Alaria, uh, while the Grey Joy <coughs> twins um, go upstairs to fight and their their fucking ships are getting wrecked. Um, anyway, uh, Yara fights Euron uh, and she loses... And gets taken captive, and Euron has a axe to her throat as Theon shows up and says, hey, you fucking dickless wonder, come at me, bro. And Theon's like, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't look good. I'm going to run away like a little bitch. So he jumps, and he jumps not too gracefully into the water, which the way he jumps, I, <laughs> I laughed myself. Euron laughs at him for being a pussy, but I laughed at him for just being a fucking terrible... Jumper into the water. Like, you got to put your hands together to break the water, bro. Anyway. Yeah. I don't think he clenched, but go ahead. The scene ends with fucking Theon floating in the water amongst all the wreckage of Danny's fleet, and we see two sand skanks hanging from the prow of one of the boats. So I hated this scene. I don't know. 
I'll tell you why, but uh, let me know what you think. I had mixed reaction to it. So first, thank God, Sand Skank's done. Um, I agree. <clears throat> thank God that little kid stopped playing Canon and D because he fucking sucked at it. So, and I think that, I mean, I think D&D probably in trying to condense storylines and also looking at uh, fan feedback, realized they had just all these clowns. So it was good. Uh, but you know what? It was, it, it was very bothersome how these bozos just showed up. I mean, yeah, that was my biggest thing. It's yeah, like, is there a spy or what, what's going they on? They needed here? one. There was one bit of dialogue like Euron could have come up with some trick or something. You know what I mean? Like it could have been yeah. anything. The but like a thousand boats running into another thousand boats. And number one, uh, that's number one. Number two, yeah, they attack each other. But like, what's the difference between one boat full of fucking shitty fucking dirt rat <laughs> ironborn and another one? Yeah, you can't tell the difference. It's not like they're wearing different uniforms. One boat has the red eye on the on the squid. But that's about it. Like, how can so, you tell so anybody let, apart? Let me, let me say the good about this this thing. All right, Beyond all right, all right, the sad skanks, I did think that the uh, that the whatever the hook thing that came down from Euron's ship with him falling on top of it, I thought that was pretty cool. I I, I like that. That's fine. It uh, wasn't egregious. Yeah, I did think that the scene was actually good in uh, setting Euron up as a badass. Yeah, that was his function. I, I'm not going to disagree is. that that was the function of the scene. I just hated that how it played out. I feel like it wasn't earned. I feel like they're trying to make Euron a badass very quickly, and I feel like they didn't earn it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I did like uh, Theon basically melting in front of Euron, even though, you know, I, I think that we would both agree that uh, if Theon tried to step to Euron when he had... He would have died. Yara, yeah, they would, would kill both of them. Yeah, Yara would have died. Yeah. Either way, it was it was a smart move, but the way it played out was fine. I didn't have a problem with the way it played yes. out. And then I did also think it was helpful that now Danny Jeans needs John more than ever. So I think that does make sense in the larger context of the show. Um, but I had a problem with them just showing up. I had a real problem with the cuts in the in this battle. It's it will they gave they gave you no indication of the cut or like the larger scale of the battle. Or if Euron's coming with a thousand ships, maybe we shouldn't just see the battle on one of the ships for the most part. Yeah, uh, it seems kind of stupid. Uh, and also, it's just stupid how like the timing of the thing, which I'm trying not to get mad about that stuff in this this season yeah i am too i'm but trying to forget the logic but like once again yes. this is one of these situations it could have been solved with one line of dialogue oh we're going yeah. through some fog okay no big deal keep going through the fog that could have been yeah. what was happening on yarish fleet and then like uh, instead I don't know. we were getting uh, you're about to have a foreign invasion in your pants yeah <laughs> Yeah, or if, uh, if uh, yeah, I mean, like they're just they're both both of these fleets are wandering around in the sea, and it just so happens that <laughs> your own ship shows up exactly number, number yeah, and and let's say let's, magic. How about magic? How about right. that's a solution? That's fine. Oh, once again, uh, okay. So some of the ships end up together. Uh, guess what? There's a thousand ships for that versus a thousand ships. I'm guessing they would disperse. Like, there's no way, like, all, like, and that's my problem. What's the fallout here? How, yeah. what's the scale? 
is Danny's entire fleet gone? I wouldn't think so because some of the fleet is ferrying around Greyjoy and the Unsullied who are going to attack Casterly Rock. Number one, that's number one. Number two, if they're making it to Casterly Rock, which we can assume based on the preview of next week, and it looks like there's a bunch of fucking Unsullied, how are they not traveling together to Dorne? Because basically, guys, guess what? They're going the same direction. Why would why would this fleet f- split up? Because the whole point was, Danny said, and I, I don't think we said this, but Danny said that the Dornish would go with the Greyjoy fleet to pick up all the Dornish army guys and bring them to King's Landing for the siege. So I don't know why they weren't traveling together. Number two, let's say that Laria and her daughter, the cute sand skank, get taken captive. Why would Dorn bend the knee at that point? You would think they would still be about killing Cersei, so I would think they would still be in open rebellion, so guess what? You still haven't lost anything. Guess what? You've taken care of all the Sand Skanks. Dorne isn't led by the Martells anymore because the Martells were murdered by the Sand Skanks and Ilaria. Uh I don't think that's <coughs> a, a big deal. The Dornish army is still intact. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just have all sorts of problems with this fucking last scene. I I think this uh, Laria was suddenly like weak and and needed other people to protect her. Yeah, you know, like she, I thought she was kind of a badass prior to this, and then even like even in the battle, like the one that had the whip, like they have to know that close quarters combat does not warrant a whip. It seems just stupid or common sense. They also didn't have like a. Like a queen's guard or anything like to protect them, instead it was just Alaria sitting underneath the 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 ship. I mean, I just none of it made sense. It's nothing, <laughs> nothing here makes sense, and and yeah. I can't stand that. Every podcast that I listened to that reviewed this episode so far has said this is the best scene of the episode. You guys are fucking no, retarded. So, this is was, the worst scene of the fucking episode. It, the, the the scale, the lack of scale was really frustrating in the fast cuts without knowing what was going on. It was really frustrating. I, I mean, I don't even know. I didn't know who was fighting who in the episode for the most part, other than the, you know, three or four key players. I don't know how a night battle in, in the water, how anyone would know who they should be attacking. Um, just to make a lot of sense. Especially when it's Greyjoy on Greyjoy. They all wear the same shit. Yes, exactly. Uniform. Nothing, nothing about this made sense. Once again, like, and it's so, f- I feel like it could have been solved with like one but, or but two it, little it, things. It, like one or two it did little serve, things. It did serve the function of now Euron's a badass. Yes. Same skates are yes. done. And, and, and now so it's leveled the frame. And that's it. It's yeah. leveled the playing field between Danny and Cersei a little bit. It made John more important. So And made John more important. So I understand the function. It's the execution. And we said yes. that before. We don't have any problem with the function of the scene. I have a problem with the execution of the scene. So having said all that, let's speculate about next week. Um, so I got to feel that, so let's think, Yara's still alive. Uh, Theon's still alive. Theon's going to get back to Danny. I feel. And I feel like Theon's still going to have a redemptive arc. He's going to be, he's not brave now, but I feel like he's going to do something good in the end. He'll do something important. Yes. Yeah, there's no we all agree that. about yeah. that. That That's that stake. Uh, so Yara is going to be uh, captive, and we saw the preview. Uh, Euron shows up in King's Landing like a boss, um, you know, parading his prizes. So I feel like 
Alaria and her kid are dead. The question is how that happens. I'm hoping. Here's my hope. Let me let me let me run this by you. You can agree, disagree, whatever. I'm hoping that she gives one of them the ability to go on trial and request trial by combat, and we finally get to see the fucking mountain in trial by combat wreck somebody. <laughs> I, I'm really hoping for that. Or uh, I don't know. I think we're still going to see the Clegane Bowl uh, eventually. No, I, I think so too. I, I'm not saying we we will get this instead of the Clegane Bowl. I'm saying that we will get to see the mountain in full fucking action because so far we haven't seen him wreck anybody. The undead mountain, we haven't seen him wreck anybody besides you know pushing some guy's head in some uh, yeah you know some people that really aren't fighting him. Like I feel like just like. People that are just getting stepped on. I don't know. I think that might take away from the menace if he's just killing rando people. I, I, I don't he's know. More menacing now. But I, I, I don't agree. Know. I don't. I don't know who Alaria's hero would be or champion. Um, maybe <laughs> that could be good. What if Alaria names her uh, shitty fucking kid, the sand skank that survived, her champion, and she has to defend him against the mountain? Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, guys. Guys, I don't. Oh, I, I'm just what snapping. Doing over there? I'm snapping because I think this could be good. Remember how the fucking shitty fucking uh the cute one, the cute sand skank that survived in the oh, beginning, wow. she said that I, you know, you can have Cersei. I want to take the mountain, and the other two sand skanks are like the mountain would crush you in a minute. How awesome would it be if the shitty sand skank, the cute one? got to defend her mom in a trial by combat against the mountain and got destroyed. That's not, that's not going to happen. Oh, okay. If it does, you and owe also, me a burrito. It doesn't happen. There's like 11 hours left. We would need to see this stupid trial by combat. Okay. What, what are your thoughts? Okay. Let's speculate. What do you think is going to happen next week? We know that you're from the previews. We know that Euron's going to return victorious to King's landing with his gift, which is going to be Alaria, if not Alaria and, the Sand Skank and Yara. Go ahead. Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope speculate. that speculate, speculate, speculate. John, John and Danny do smoochies. I, I think John and Danny will do smoochies, even though they're aunt and nephew, <laughs> which is totally gross. But whatever, it's the it's the world. That's fine. And That's I feel like they they won't find out that they're related until it's too late because Bran is the only one who knows that we. No, right now, right? Much like that episode of Futurama. But uh, also, uh, Littlefinger might know. Oh, yeah, because he was the one yeah. that was telling Sansa, is like, hey, is that what you think happened to uh, your Aunt Liana? Because that's really not what happened to her. Yeah, and uh, I wonder if Sam might know, too. But anyways, we've been going on for way too long. Yes, we have. All right, guys. Um so we're going to wrap it up. I will say that I text messaged uh, Brian earlier today saying, hey, do you want to guess today? And he said, I've got something to say about this episode. This is the longest episode I think ever. <laughs> We've been going on for two hours. Um, yeah, and I will say that that is the reason why I'm going to give this episode a 4.5. I think this could have been one. I think this is probably top 10, as Brian said. But I think there was a few things, including the last scene, that makes me want to pull back and keeps this from being a great episode of Game of Thrones and just being a very good episode. But still, I enjoyed the fuck out of it. 
I'm excited for next week. Uh, what do you think? There, agree. Right? Top ten. Uh, I did not like the last scene, but I, I mean, I get they're trying. I think what they're trying to do is like have an epic battle, but not spend a lot of money on it because they're trying to save all that money. I think. Um, and then also uh, the uh, the stump grinding scene. I mean, just such a waste of time for uh, you know. I thought it was sweet. Okay, well that's very <laughs> cute for you, Doug. Uh, so yeah, I give it a four point five Italian sausages out of five Italian sausages. So once again, we um, are in agreement here, which is crazy. The fact, like, yeah, we haven't been this in sync. I feel like you're on my period cycle because I can't. No man, that's not. Don't do that. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry anybody who was offended by that and <laughs> not anything else we yeah, said. Yeah, don't do that. Anyway, uh, yeah, we're I'm on Richard this. Spencer. I feel like we agree too much, so I think I want to bring in somebody um, somebody who's an independent voice who won't be swayed too easily, somebody who who makes observations that really don't make any sense, somebody who the fandom... No, 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 no. <laughs> I was going to say, bring back Jermaine. Jermaine! Observations that don't make any sense, and then it's like... <laughs> All right, right. guys, uh, thank you for joining us for this super long episode of uh, Shame to Thrones. Also, check out our sister episodes, uh, The Shameful Dead, which will be back this fall for as long as I feel like doing it, which that show is awful. And uh, the occasional podcast, Flick Pals, which we talk about movies. We just talked about uh, Wonder Woman, so be sure to check that out. And guys, can you please rate and review us on iTunes so maybe we'll get invited to Con of Thrones next year? And we'll fucking uh, shit up that. <laughs> we'll make that cr- crappy con <laughs> even worse than it probably is yeah. or depressing. If we are on that con, we will shit it up. <laughs> I will fucking take a shit on stage if you guys oh, get yeah. us to Con of Thrones. I'm not lying. I'll get kicked out. I don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. Anyway, please rate and review us on iTunes. It does help us out. And I guess we'll see you next Tuesday. Brian, say uh, goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. All right, goodbye, y'all. I'm going to pop it.